Today I'm joined once more by Daniel Yilk, developer of AppTelemetry, lightweight analytics that's not evil. We talked at the start of season two of this podcast, and I thought I'd catch up with him again about his product, WWDC, and life in general. How have you been, mate, anyway? How, how are things going? I'm good. I'm still sleep-deprived from uh, Dub. Yep. But I mean, you can you can probably relate, right? Yeah, very much, very much. Um, you could like you had to get up super early, and I had to stay up really late. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's um, happened. It's been a fun conference, and other than that, like I'm a little bit stressed, but like the good kind of stressed because of the whole like. I'm basically starting a business, so like I'm applying for various government subsidies for that, and like trying to find the right um, legal framework and stuff like that. And it's yep. like super exciting. It's just a lot of work. Yeah, I guess whatever path you choose, it's going to be paperwork. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I do have a, have a business partner now. Yep. She's like a really good friend who has helped me a lot before with my previous apps. And when I was like, huh, you know what? I should probably actually start a business. And then I talked to like a few startup people in my hometown and she kind of introduced me to them. And they all told me, um, get yourself a business partner because it's too hard to do this alone. Yeah, And then just start because you have your MVP already. And so, um, and so after introducing me to these people and these people then telling me, get yourself a business partner, she's like, do, do you want me to be your business partner? And I thought about it for a second or three or five. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I would very much like that because our skills are very much complementary. Like I can do all the, the technical stuff and she's really good at like the business stuff and marketing and stuff like that. Yep. So quite complimentary. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. What's her name? Uh, Lisa Figas. Awesome. She's at meet underscore Lisa on Twitter. I follow her already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like our values are just like really aligned too. Like she's a huge feminist and she's like very much like, like she's like in all the all kinds of like political committees and trying to prevent like various anti-encryption laws that are being passed in europe soon or actually right now yep so it all fits very well i gotta close my door my cat is acting up oh no problem because she's learned that if she just meows in front of the bedroom door that someone will come and react somehow (laughs) so i'm gonna want a photograph of your cat of course There's, there's there's two of them yeah, yeah, both of them then in that case, um, so that they can both be uh, special guests on the podcast. <laughs> so what are things like on your side at the moment? Because I know you've been cycling last week. Oh, oh, I yesterday, well, that is a few hours ago, actually. I picked up my bike from the bike shop because uh, I had a puncture in my rear tire. And I went to the bike shop and was like, hey, can you guys give me new tires and make them tubeless, which is this new technology that is kind of self-repairing. Yeah. And I now have, now have tubeless tires and they're way thicker because I used to have these very skinny cyclocross tires on my bike. And now they're they're way fatter. They're like almost mountain bike 
right. tires, but on a on a road bike frame. And I just did a small little test drive, and it it feels amazing. It feels really cool, but it feels very different. The okay. tire sound on the road is very different, and the handling in like fast corners is completely different. I almost <laughs> like kissed the road. Oh no. <laughs> I managed to catch it, but uh, like I'm gonna have to get used to that. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting. Is does it? Do you think it's gonna give you a different style of uh, of riding? Maybe I can't really tell right now. Um, with this bike, like I do kind of two kinds of kinds of riding. Kind of, I, I like some on asphalt and then on on gravel and like rocky surfaces. And I'm pretty sure the the gravel and rocky surfaces part will be just about the same because yep. it's for these like surfaces you're just you're just going to be slow and just methodical and for the asphalt it feels like they have a like lower rolling resistance even than my previous tires so it might i might be quicker yeah um but because they have a bigger diameter the the whole um the whole cornering thing might be different i just i just might have to like adjust the way i'm usually going into corners Oh, sounds like you just need to uh, take it out for a few short rides and, and figure yeah, it out. Yeah, like that's that's the plan after this podcast. I'm just gonna, I don't know, have a shower and the sun is shining, and just like I'm gonna pop on the bike. I think. Oh, excellent. Just do something else. Not think about uh, computers for an hour or two. It's been a week, hasn't it? With, uh, with WWDC <laughs> it has. and everything. Yeah. I try to. I try to join every interesting community event too, but. Usually those would be like at 3 a.m. for me. Yeah. And then I'd have other um, things that I needed to or wanted to attend at 9 in the morning. So towards the end of the week, I was just like, okay, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to make that. And I was kind of no. ruthless. It's just like cutting stuff out. But it is amazing that there's like so much on offer. It really both is. from Apple and from the community. Like Paul Hudson, who's... Almost in the same time zone as me, I think. Like he's probably at one hour off or so. Yep. Like he has been doing all these ultra late night streams just to reach the Americans, basically, and they are all extremely well done. Like this guy has had like a day or two to prepare from seeing this stuff from the first time to uh, just explaining it in perfect detail and like super pedagog pedagogical pedagogical. I don't yeah. know, like. Just very teacher-like and in a very good way to to us mere, mere mortals. It's it's amazing. I haven't caught um, any of his stuff, but obviously I've seen seen some of his stuff from the past. And right. the way he just distills things at WWDC blows me away. Mm -hmm. uh, it is amazing. I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking he was involved in Apple and, and had had all of this <laughs> ahead of time or something. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Um, yeah, his streams are are really good for um, like they're highly topical, but they're kind of long. So there's there'll be like a two hour stream for what's new in Swift UI or what's new in Swift five point five. Yeah. Um, so they are they are running kind of long, but they're pretty structured, and it's nice to just put them on if you're like too tired to. Uh, to really listen to one of those, uh, you know, like 30 minutes ultra compact WWDC talks because it's just a bit more um, more fluffy. There's like a, a bit more breathing room in between. Sometimes his dogs come in. So 
like towards the end of the day, it's just like it's it's a nice way to to finish to finish your WWDC day. I need to check them out. I, I think what you said just there hit the nail on the head, just in a sense mm-hmm. of like the WWDC sessions themselves. They're great, but it can be really really hard to take in the the nitty gritty and the detail of it um, in the time that they have. Oh yeah, you need to watch them like three times. I think. Yep. Yep. You know, people sort of joke about watching things on one and a half times speed. I think actually I need to watch it on half speed. <laughs> <laughs> that um, might also work. Yeah. For for me, it's like I actually do watch them multiple times. Like, or at least when they work, I do. Like, for example, last year's Swift UI talks. Like, I watched them like partially during or after the 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 WWDC week and then I started programming in Swift UI and only then did I kind of revisit those yeah and it was like I never had watched them because my brain was just not prepared to pick up the details while I was still trying to understand the fundamentals yeah yeah I think that's the thing with um with the WWDC sessions is I've got a team that I'm supporting in, in my job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm there as their their iOS development coach, and part of that means that I guide their learning. I am there to support them when they're uh, developing the apps that our company has. And mm-hmm. with these sessions, we've watched some of them. So we we watch the uh, the what's new in Swift, and we watch what's new in Swift UI, and it can be it was a lot of information all at once and i could kind of see that people were sort of like yeah okay all right can we just slow down a second mm-hmm. um but the thing about it is is it's it's a case of just signposting it so they now know okay that's there there's these sessions i can just use the developer app and they're in there and it's kind of like i've pointed out the way you know it's a right. case of like okay when we get there when we're using some of these things later on in the year they know that these sessions are there. They're able to access um, these sessions over the next few months using um, some of their learning time that we have. We, we have some allocated learning time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super cool. You know, it's a case of like you, just knowing that they're there and knowing that when you come up against these things sort of on a day-to-day basis, you can go back and watch these sessions. You know, that's that's the thing I've really tried to sort of impart to them is like... You can watch these. This is great, and and it's good to learn these things. But if it doesn't go in, uh, you know, in, in the first go, if you're covering it again later in the year or whatever, and it sort of still feels new, we can go back and watch them again. It's it's fine, you know. Um, because I think some people feel like they need to watch everything that comes out at WWDC all at once. Yeah, <laughs> learn I've all been of the that things. Person. Yeah, so have I. So have I. And. <laughs> And I think that can be great because then you kind of know where things live. Um, but like you're saying, when you actually go to, to code, you know, or you, it's been a few months or whatever since you watched it and you're finally using this new API, uh, you should go and watch it again or go and read some tutorials that have been, that have been based off the sessions um, or that right. sort of thing. It's, uh, yeah. So I think I've been just trying to impart to my team is like, don't, feel like you've got to take every single episode in every single session it's uh it's too much um totally agree 
Especially since most of the stuff, you won't be able to use it right away, right? Because yeah. right now, if you're not starting a completely new app, you're not targeting iOS 15 for at least another six months, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think we'll get that opportunity, actually, to target a uh, an app on iOS 15 fairly soon, because mm-hmm. uh, we do have a new thing that we're working on soon. So oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, I'm hoping we can get away with actually working on it while... Um, iOS 15 is in beta. Um, the type of app it is, we might be able to. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, obviously we can play with all the new shiny tools, try and see what we can do with, with the new APIs um, and get a bit of learning in mm-hmm. that way as well. Do you have a favorite? A favorite? Like a favorite new API or technology that was kind of in- introduced or improved at DubDub? Good question. So... I think async await probably. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that is my favorite, but it's my favorite because of how it works with Swift UI. Right, uh, that that technology on its own, just for UI kit, I think I would have been a mm-hmm. bit like, oh well, okay, that's nice. Um, but in terms of how it sort of starts to work for for view models, for the way that Swift UI uh, reloads as well i think you can get into some quite beautiful patterns oh yeah totally like async await plus the swift ui improvements they they make me want to target ios 15 right away but i I probably have to wait a little bit um for me i think during the keynote was what blew me away the most is probably uh share play i'm not sure it might just become one of those things that gets announced during WWDC and then no one ever uses it, right? Yep. Um, especially since in many parts of Europe and uh, uh, the USA, the the pandemic also seems to be kind of slowing down finally. I mean, for you guys, that's not a problem, of course, but, yep. you know. Um, so the question is, like, once... Once most people return to offices or whatever, is SharePlay really going to be a thing that is necessary or that will get like wide adoption? But um, I think the idea of being able to uh, have like a voice connection and then use the same app at the same time because it's just installed at both on both devices and it, it exchanges exchanges like information about which view am i am i looking at right now through through the shareplay api that just seems amazingly cool to me like i'm thinking if you're using app telemetry for example um just like working together on some kind of report where you have like various different graphs and then you think about like oh how do we show this how do we show that or whatever and i just think that's really cool yeah yeah, definitely. I think the the experiences that can be created through it, I think, are really quite, the potential is quite amazing. And I think the uh, the way I'm looking at this really is it's an enabler. This is a, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's glue. And, okay, you know, we look at this now and we think, okay, this is about the pandemic, right? This is about bringing people together when they have to stay apart. But I think there's something else going on here, actually, with with the uh, SharePlay technologies. So I, I look How do you at mean? well. I think okay, they're they're doing this now, and they're really great for for 
pandemic situations. But mm-hmm. if we fast forwards another maybe three years, I don't want to guess really, but but fast forward a little way to um, a time where we might have AR glasses, then I can imagine that maybe they're part of an underpinning, which is more about like um, being able to sort of just bring people to where you are, you know, wherever you are, and have these experiences anyway. And that with, with AR glasses... Um, some of the experiences that you might share with somebody else become sort of even more immediate. If you see what I oh, mean. Like you, you, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So but that's, yeah, that's intriguing. So I'm, I'm imagining a situation, you know, where I'm able to have a conversation with you through, potentially through FaceTime as the conduit with, with these, mm-hmm. um, with the share sharing functionality of whatever um, app that we're using to, to otherwise communicate ideas or things. Um, and then because that's there, we can then have these other experiences in an AR space or in a VR space, potentially. Um, so this might be a window that apps use later on to sort of have a bit of play into those sort of worlds. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. You're a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of the immediate ramifications I did though, like you know, like when they previewed this map feature where you can make your phone look around and recognize the nearby buildings, and then it will like AR style include various arrows where you need to go into the scene. Like yeah. I was like, okay, this is this is like, I mean, how obvious do they have to make it? Yes, this is for the glasses. Yes. Yeah, and the uh, the other thing they showed, they showed the um, the object capture. Uh, mechanisms with the um, taking all the photographs yeah. and then stitching them together to create an object. Um, again, that's that's about being able to to make things for AR much easier. You know, capturing objects and doing that side of stuff is it's pretty hard to do well. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm I'm still skeptical about that. I mean, so hear me out. Uh, Everyone has been like, or a lot of people have said like, this is their the most like impressive demos they've seen at WWDC with the object capture. Yeah. But I'm a bit skeptical because um, if you do this, like it's an API, it's not an app, it's an API that accepts these images and tries to create a 3D model from from those. Yeah. Um, First of all, it's still going to be very complicated and technical because they said something about like you have to capture as many photos of the thing as possible and you also have to try to uh, catch it from below. So you're going to have to prop it up somehow. Yeah. And um, also for some reason, it's it's not using the LiDAR sensor, which is just bizarre to me because I mean, that's no. just, why would you use that? I believe it's using um, depth data when it has it. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah. so if you're like taking the pictures with an with an iPhone, and they have the depth data, okay, that's that changes this slightly. And that would include um, the lidar to some degree, right? Because the right, lidar enhances right. the depth data when it's there. Okay. I believe. I must have missed that. Um, um, anyway, and so the other thing is, so it's it's gonna be more hassle than they make it seem like to actually capture the pictures and the other thing is that 
they said something that even like, oh, we all, we captured this croissant and then we took the 3D model and added these effects, uh, these surface effects and these, and we modified the object slightly and whatever. And I think that's the other thing that people are not realizing that even if you use this to capture and texture a 3D model, it's probably going to need some fine tuning afterwards to really yeah. make it look properly um otherwise it's pro probably just going to look like a melted wax uh, <laughs> replica or something it is it's sort of the, the the things i can see happening is that it'll end up looking like early 3d prints you know yeah. when, <laughs> like when people were with 3d printing quite a while ago you know you'd end up with these sort of uh mistakes and where the printer head had gone wrong or whatever and you get this like warped print come off the thing um mm -hmm. I can imagine it producing a lot of that, and and the same is like yeah. when you um, when you take a panoramic photograph, and and if I think back, you know, to before before Apple supported panoramic photographs in the the um, camera mm -hmm. app itself, there were other apps that did it, you know, Stitcher apps, right? Um, and they were the same. They would produce. Sometimes you get a really lovely shot. Sometimes you get something that was just awful. So we're kind of in those days, right? This is the early days of this technology. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely, like, but babe, but okay. So, so you're saying strategically, it's probably a good idea to release this now yeah. and give it a, a year or three to mature, and then once we're in the glorious uh, AR glasses future, then it's going to be easier because that's when we really need the ability to have 3D objects, just like and just capture them like we would capture a photo and then exchange exactly. and, sh and share them yeah exactly yeah that makes sense so I, I i can see this being used for other things as well like okay um i can imagine an app that might use the the front-facing camera um because you can get depth data out of that as well with the mm -hmm. um with the face id sensor and you know running it through this i can capture a model of my face potentially mm -hmm. and then there are companies out there that have got some of these sorts of technology already so this can only sort of enhance the types of things that they've got already uh but then that becomes a means of like okay now i've got a reasonable avatar of my face and then i can take that into a virtual space and that can that that can enhance my experience over in something that is a, a VR space or an AR or oh, yeah. space. So like I say, this this technology is is embryonic. You know, this is this is like like I say, this is iPhone uh four, four S sort of time and we're just getting panoramic right. photographs. It, it's there. Um potentially even sense. just a step before that in some ways. Um yeah, so obviously, as you can tell, I'm quite hopeful about this. I think this is going to be a, a, a bit of a, um, how do I put it? This is a foundation. The, these are all sort of foundational technologies that will support sort of future experiences. Um, I, I kind of look at them in that sense. Yeah, I can, I can be totally on board with that. Um, I was, I think, a little more standoffish when watching the keynote and the state of the union than i usually would be because apple has been treating developers kind of not perfectly recently yeah and 
I think that also colored my impression because like from the from a technical standpoint I was very impressed but from the whole presentation I felt like this is like even more of a marketing presentation than it usually was yeah um and for the keynote I'm like you're kind of expecting that right they want to like preview the new OS even if it doesn't have developer facing features it's just going to be like hey look at what iOS 15 is going to look like because that's what people are interested in but especially the state of the union um i don't ever have any like hard data or something but it felt like oh where's the actual um developer related content like <laughs> show yeah. me like async await was really cool and really well demonstrated with the dancer example that was really nice yep but show me the the new changes in swift ui in more than two slides um show me uh Xcode 13, which has a lot of new features and like improvements, and they were never even on a slide, even no. though that's what I, as a developer, I'm going to going to to stare at and use most of the most of all the new Apple technologies. Um, it's strange because I booked the State of the Union time with my team and, and we watched it um, all together, and I look back at previous years to sort of try and gauge, like, okay, how long do I book the meeting room for for us all? And I think it gave us about an hour and a half or so, just based on, mm. you know, previous year was about an hour and 20 minutes. And I don't think we even used the hour. I think it, it felt like it was really short. Um, I might be rem- remembering that wrong, but we we did not use all the time that we had um, for the State of the Union. Yeah, um, it was curious. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Actually, I can, we can probably look this up over on the site and see how long it actually was but it, it felt short um and that, that didn't it i mean it might be pandemic related but i don't know um they they seem to have slightly different priorities than compared to the previous years yeah yeah definitely and and i think the way i've summed this up actually um is that um it felt like a, a snow leopard year for me. Which is which is fine. Which is like completely fine. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons that I am, I have to confess, I'm recording this on macOS Monterey. Okay. And nothing is crashing. It's just, it just works. Like there's like, I have found exactly one bug. It's related to waking external screens and that is that is it like it's just it's just there it it feels like this most stable beta release i've ever used of ios or macos yep and that's what snow leopard felt like right that that was exactly um i mean back when snow leopard was released i th- i seem to remember i i referred to that at the time as being like a a service pack release right so <laughs> so like the sort of windows yeah, that concept makes sense. yeah um, because it didn't feel that long since we'd had Leopard before, and at that point we weren't on um, annual updates in the same way as we mm. are now. In fact, that kind of, if I remember rightly, was kind of the start of us getting into this kind of world. And, um, yeah, so it felt like, okay, this is what we had before, but just a bit of a bump. And I feel like that with this year. I, I think it's a case of, um, yeah, Big Big Sur was obviously a little bit of a departure from what was going on before with what it with what it did you know in terms of the mm-hmm. ui um and then this year with monterey it's like 
yeah, they've taken a look at what they had and they've tweaked things, they've improved things, but we've not got anything that's going to be too sort of like, oh my God, what is that? You know? <laughs> um, right. and, and the same for iOS as well with, with iOS 15. And I think that's okay. I think that it can be good for developers to have that kind of a year. Oh, yeah. You're not chasing after the newest features that you kind of have to include. Otherwise, your your users will be mad at you, like widgets or something. You can you can just like improve your own app and like remove technical debt and stuff like that. So that's really valuable. The um, the only thing I can see that's going to be problematic is that the the additions to Swift UI um, and the fact that async await requires iOS 15, right? That it's not backwards compatible. Um, right but that's what we got when we all wanted abi stability right yeah i think that's gonna be gonna be interesting um just like that i I mean we touched on that a bit before but it could be a while before um before people can actually go to ios 15 for these things Mm. um but i think if you have that freedom or you know if, if you've if you're an indie especially with an app that you can go hey I want to support iOS 15 pretty early, then I think it's great, you know, because yeah, the, uh, these are, they are changing technologies. Async await is a changing technology, but all the stuff for Swift UI is kind of like, it's just building on what Swift UI did in the first place. You know, I totally agree. Like, especially like if I recompile app telemetry, like the desktop version right now on my Mac, it looks way better the the bugs are in different places and they're yep. like less frequent and i feel like i'm i'm very motivated to uh, require macos manta ray <laughs> manta ray um, yeah <laughs> excellent um pretty pretty early especially since my target audience is developers yep so i yeah i'm really hoping that adoption will be quick because these features, especially for me, like the Mac-related features, are and the async await, of course, and stuff like that, like are like really valuable. Yeah. So yeah, here's here's just hoping that they will, like that, that people will adopt pretty quickly. I, I think they will. I, I think given that, you know, we've not lost any devices this year uh, for iOS, so so everything that can run iOS 14 can run iOS 15. Um. I suspect that we're going to see quite good adoption. I do think that um, the PR might be a bit weird. So there was the message that iOS 14 will continue to get security updates. Mm -hmm. And that kind of bothered me a little bit in a sense of like, well, okay, yes, it should continue to get security updates. That's great. But I, I don't want people to sort of feel enabled by that in a sense of holding out. You know, I, I would, as a developer, I'm selfish. I would like people to update to 15. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I hope that, you know, the vast majority of people just go, yes, that's great. Let's update. Um, <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> How do you feel about, um, I feel like when I listen to various like developer podcasts or talk to people, like everyone is always very keen to update to the new iPhone and iPad OS, but Mac OS adoption is usually quite a bit behind. Like, yeah. um, I mean, they're probably not representative, but if I, for example, listen to the Accidental Tech podcast, they're like, 
six months after everyone had switched to macOS 11, I already forgot the code name because the code names are just silly. Um, <laughs> like they were still like, oh, and it's so like, oh, I'm so being forced to update to the new version of macOS. And yes. I'm like, come on, guys, just come in. The water's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a developer mentality. And that comes from like, right. okay, this is the machine that I'm using to to write my code. And if I update and this all kind of blows up in my face or like all of the things I use for dependencies and you know the command line things like brew, for example, right. if all of these little things that I've just got the way I like them break, then that's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, that's I've, I've lost a day or whatever it is, you know, to, to flattening the machine out to then reinstalling to then getting everything back on there. And I don't know. Yeah, that's you. one of the reasons that I want to keep everything as default as possible. Yes. So if I have to do that, it's just very easy to set up a new Mac. That's the thing. I, I've, I'm very similar in that respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I can install a, mu- a new Mac, I can download everything from the, the app store, although I tend to get Xcode from developer.apple and just download it and install right. it manually. Um, but then I install Brew. I install a few other tools from there, and mm-hmm. it usually doesn't take me too long. Um, I think I was up and running pretty productively in my new job within like a couple of hours. Yeah, um, something like that. And that that that's that's not too bad, really. But I, I can understand the the resistance and the fear. <laughs> yeah, especially if you are someone who was like a highly customized Mac, and you've been upgrading instead of reinstalling. Yeah every year for the last six, eight or 10 years or something like you're like probably in a very different mindset compared to me where I'm just like, Oh, there's a new Mac OS. I should just delete everything and start from scratch. So it's all <laughs> fresh and, and without gunk and whatever. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> just yeet, yeet my old OS out of the window. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I tend to operate on the basis that my Mac is like, it's not a dumb client, but, but the machine itself is mm-hmm. not special. Right. My, my data is special and I, I look after that. Um, right. But that's in a Git repository somewhere, usually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I, I try not to use Git as backup, but it is. You know, in a sense of it's it's remote from my machine. It's probably not going to go down anytime soon because it's owned by, uh, backed by Microsoft over on GitHub. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that feels pretty safe. But I do take other backups as well. Uh, but I don't think I don't even run Time Machine now, like I used to. I, yeah, I used to. I used to run Time Machine. And now I just have Backblaze. And I yep. feel like Backblaze plus iCloud plus all, the, all my code on Git feels pretty safe, to be honest. Yep. I'm, I'm iCloud plus Git. Um, and then I've got two drives that I alternate here that are kind of mirrored. Oh, okay. um, and then, you know, there, there's other places for some other stuff as well. You know what I just realized? I, I, have, I have a stationary desktop computer now because I bought one of those M1 Mac minis. Uh-huh. So I could totally add a drive to that because I kind of didn't because usually it it would be my laptop plugged into a cable. So I would have like a big screen, right? Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> this thing is stationary anyway. Oh, 
Maybe yeah. I'll think about it. I think I have like an external USB-C hard drive lying around somewhere. Oh, as we're veering off into kind of talking about our tech, um, do you have a camera that you use with that Mac Mini? Uh, I have like one of those Logitech cameras that you put on top of your screen. Yep. Uh, not the newest one, though. I've been thinking about upgrading, but it's better than the, the um, integrated MacBook Air cameras. Yep. Oh, that's cool. I, I've um, I've not invested in a webcam for this machine. I've got a, a 2018 Mac Mini. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a, a six-core Intel. Um. But if I'm honest, yeah, I've been thinking about I've been thinking about like this one is 1080p and it has like it has pretty good like it's a, like a like phone camera but not iPhone 12 phone camera good. Yep. And so yeah, I've been thinking because I want to start making YouTube videos about app telemetry because it turns out that lots of people are super interested in telemetry data from their app. Um, but they don't really know what to do with it. Yep. So it turns out that it is really helpful for um, users of AppTelemetry to hear, hello, this is how you can make use of that data. Um, like, for example, um, we have this this one client who has thousands and tens of thousands of users. And then we found out that only three, like, three individual users ever saw the please like donate to my or buy me a coffee screen or whatever right uh, in the last 30 days so I was like okay let's optimize for that and just show at like once a highly highly satisfying action is completed just show that screen automatically and then like now way more people are seeing this and he's like getting way more or the developers like getting way more donations yep. and so these kinds of um, lessons, uh, I think we need to like make a few YouTube videos and like, explain that a little bit, how people can get value out of app telemetry. So that's why I've been thinking about like getting a better camera and maybe a ring light or something. Yeah. But um, I probably should record a few videos first before I dump all of my money into like into equipment that i'm not sure i'm going to use yet <laughs> yeah yeah definitely get get the light set up perhaps first um if you can mm-hmm. get something reasonable for that and then that that'll yeah. give you a good idea of like how good you can record with what you've got already right especially since like the main part of the video will be screen sharing like so my face is just going to be like in the lower left corner or whatever yeah Oh, that's going to be good to see what those videos uh, come out like, though. I, I oh yeah, I'm 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 excited about those. Like, I my my brother who is a, a musician, and he recorded me this awesome background track. It's like relaxing and a little bit electronic, and it's looping. And I'm like, I want to make videos just to hear that track in the background. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, it's uh, it's been so awesome seeing App Telemetry take off. Over the oh, last thank few you. Months. Yeah, if I think back to um, to the first episode of this season, actually, where we spoke, I think mm-hmm. you that was in December or something, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's actually quite a while ago now. Um, and yeah, I mean, back then you 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 just started, I think, in terms of like opening it up to mm-hmm. to people um, coming on board and using it. 
and if I think about where that was then and where you are now, like it, it, you've come on in leaps and bounds in that time. I've been very lucky, yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I actually needed to do, I didn't know back then, but I think we didn't talk about this too. Like I had to recreate the whole part of my infrastructure that calculates insights out of that signal data that comes in from apps. Because um, back then I was just using um, PostgreSQL and it turns out that if you are an app that has uh, 5 million signals per month, that just takes ludicrous amounts of time to calculate everything live and like live insights is kind of a feature that I want to keep as long as possible before I have to drop it because it doesn't work out or whatever. But I found various other technologies, mostly this thing called Druid, which is a time series database. And I could like, I I just recreated the whole infrastructure based on that and then kind of migrated all the users over. Like most of them didn't really notice. And now I can calculate these, these insights like live and way faster. Like uh, most users, it will be just, uh, just like they click something and then it's just there. Like it's beautiful. If you are one of those clients that have like 5 million signals, it's probably going to take between two and 10 seconds, depending on the type of, of, of insight yeah, or the type of calculation. And I already know how to improve that, but I haven't really done it, done it yet because, uh, Druid is actually highly scalable. You can like, um, you can like have multiple calculation nodes and then multiple storage nodes and whatever. And I really need to get into that. And yeah, <laughs> that's going to be interesting, interesting as well. It's just like, I, I do have some experience with hosting and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm trying to be very conser- conservative in that regard, because uh, if something breaks in my hosting, then like a lot of people will be sad. Yeah. So I have to be, very methodical about it and think about the ways ahead and especially since i've started for cost reasons really i've started to use bare metal servers instead of like virtual machines that you can just spin up yeah it is kind of it's quite a commitment to say like oh yeah give me like three more servers because these cost like actual money because they're like serious machines yeah and even though I, i can rent them by the hour or by the day or something um, just spinning them up takes it takes a bit of time, and I just want to do everything right. So I've been planning to do the upgrade, but I've I've been I've pushed it behind WWDC week, of course. That's fair. Um, That's absolutely fair. Yeah. To, to do these things as and when they make sense to do them. Yeah, and then yeah. and then I was kind of I was kind of hesitating. Like I had this closed beta, right, where you could go to the website and you could put in your email address, and then this would actually send me an email. And then I could just tap a link at that email and say like, oh yeah, this user is now um, free to register for an account. And that was kind of nice. Like lots of people registered for that even then. Yeah. But, um, and I was like, okay, at some point I need to go to open beta and to invite everyone who wants an account to just download the app and create one for themselves. And I was super hesitant because I was like, oh, but it's not good enough yet. And oh, but this feature is missing. Ah, oh, but this feature is missing. And in the end, I kind of had to be pushed and shoved by various friends to be like, okay, you have to put this 
out now because otherwise you won't be able to gather the necessary data. Like the users yeah. that are there, they seem to be kind of happy with the app. Um, so you need to find more people and people who will stress test the app more because this is just the next, the next step. And so I finally took the plunge. Wait, um, everyone, like, you know, everyone always says, yeah, once you have an MVP, just like put it out there. Don't mm -hmm. think too long about uh, what features you might be missing. Like as soon as it's valuable to someone, just put it out there and let, let people use it. And I always say that too. And then I almost fell into that trap of just keeping everything to myself and just like trying to iterate. Um, so and I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it because um, the response has been amazing. Like on the one hand, I got a lot of new subscriptions, like 200-ish. Wow. Um, which um, in the beginning, I made a chart where I said like, okay, um, how am I going to measure whether I'm happy with the success? Because, yep. uh, so do I have expectations, that kind of thing? And I was like, okay, I'm just going to give myself grades. Like if five new people sign up and that's it, uh, that's an F. If, I don't know, 50 people sign up, that's probably, no, I probably said like 10 people. Sign up. Okay, uh, but if 50 people sign up, that's probably a D. Then like, 200 people is a C, 500 people is a, a B, and then, I don't know, 1,000 is an A or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to say that I've graduated to a C now. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm actually pretty pretty well on the way on the, onto a B. <laughs> I, I think I'd, I'd class it as an A. <laughs> Thanks. And people have been really excited about it. Um, the thing is, I still know all the, or most of the, areas where the app fails yeah and most of them are actually not related to the server but related to the desktop app which is which feels embarrassing to me because like i'm trying to like bring out this really cool smooth app and there's all these rough areas where i know that this is not optimal but uh i just can only work on one area at a time right yeah um but people have been so friendly and whenever something goes wrong they they're not angry. They're not um, uh, negative about it at all. They just like they they write a bug report, put it on GitHub or into the Slack, and are like, "Hey, can I help you out with trying to find the the reason for that?" And they sent me logs. And like the other day, I even gave someone access to the GitHub repo, and they built it themselves to see like to to step through the code and try to help me because I couldn't reproduce the problem on my on my computer. Yep. And so they, these people are an amazing community and I'm like super happy to have them. Awesome. And somehow just the public launch and the, the, the reaction that I got on Twitter, which was like super positive, like people were, were tweeting about it, were recommending the app to others. And um, all of this just um, like spread the app even more. And also like I have been in contact with various startup founders both in my area now and, and also like just in our in our um, developer community, right? And so so they're all like, Daniel, this is good. You need to create a company out of this. 
Yeah. So this is what I've been trying. Like I don't want to do like the whole VC money hyper growth, uh, like like get all the users and then sell it to Google kind of thing. No. Um. So I'm 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 more like I'm I'm trying or we are trying because I have a business partner now. So we are trying um to to create a company that is just like long lasting and will be able to sustain itself and a few uh, employees and then just give value to our users and go and be in this for the long run. And that's fantastic to yeah, see. Let's see how that works. Um, what I see there as well is that that means you can stay within your values and within the values of the, the product and the company that you've got um, by sort of keeping it um, operating in a steady kind of way rather than seeking all of that sort of VC funding and that side of things. Yeah, that's the idea, kind of. Yeah. And let's hope it let, let's hope it works out. And um, because you always see this, right? Right? Like as soon as companies get to be above a certain size, the the values that they have, they kind of have to erode because they have probably shareholders and VCs and stuff like that. And yeah. there's like demands of the company that they need to meet that are maybe going against the values that the company started on. Yeah. So if we keep this small, the the likelihood of that is probably also going to be less. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's the point where those other companies um, quite often pivot as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, there can be good reasons for a company to to sort of change track or to kind of filter and refocus what it's doing. But sometimes you see a pivot go on, and it's obviously painful. You know, as a, as a user or, yeah. or whatever, you can look and you can go, this is just not the same thing I was using before. You yeah. Um, and and, and like, then... Like, for example, what happened with Dropbox, right? I mean, there used to be this this one feature thing and it would work perfectly and whatever. And now that nowadays, um, most of my developer friends have dropped them because they are just so invasive of your of your computer. Yes. And they, they're trying to sell you all these new features for collaboration and whatever in a way that feels kind of dishonest like they're just like trying to, to to squeeze themselves into your work life even though you don't want them there and of course from a company standpoint it kind of makes sense but yeah that's the kind of thing i would like to avoid yeah yeah definitely and i think when you've got a product that's dealing with um analytics in a privacy orientated way in, mm-hmm. in the way that you've got um i think knowing that it's got that that kind of internal stability um for me i find that really quite valuable as a potential customer you know i, I look and i go well that's cool that's a side of this that means i can kind of trust the company even more as well yeah um so I think it's um, it's not something that you're necessarily going to use as a selling point, but I think it does it does offer some sort of distinction between um, your company and potentially other products as well. Oh, let's hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, my one of my I want to say role models, one of the people who reached out to me to or who um, or who I've been talking to, is the. Um, you probably don't might not know them. They're called Box Crypto. They're a company from from my hometown of Augsburg, Germany, okay. and they are this company that 
um, allows you to encrypt the, comp the contents of your Dropbox or iCloud or other uh, file sharing service before it gets uploaded to the hoster's cloud. Uh, so they're also very privacy focused and they're also kind of small. And so I've been talking to their owner and co-founder and he's, he's, he's been invaluable in his uh, advice and everything. And so like one of the, the models that I want to model the company after is just Boxcryptor because they are a medium-sized company. So they have like, I don't know, below 200 employees and they have they have their values and they're they're do, they're still doing really well and they seem to be well trusted within from their their users and the companies that use them and whatever. Awesome, that's really good. And you've you've got that kind of model to to draw from and and to inspire you there. Yeah, I have to be honest though, I was a little bit dreading WWDC. Uh, because I was like, there's like a tiny, tiny chance that we uh, will get Sherlocked. Oof. So when during the keynote, uh, they went into privacy and then uh, I was like, OK, OK, OK. <laughs> but then like nothing really came out of it. Like the, the privacy improvements to mail are really interesting. Apple is off offering a VPN, but they're not calling it a VPN. Yes. This, this is also really cool. And they have this thing called um, the App Privacy Report. And that is actually really cool because this will give you a list of all the URLs that an app has been talking to. So obviously, if an app is using AppTelemetry, then AppTelemetry.io will, will um, show up there. But I don't feel like that's a problem because... Like our clients are not trying to hide the fact that it, that they are like gathering anonymous usage information, and no. the worst case is like people go to the URL and then they see our start page and they they see like okay this is um, this looks privacy focused and uh, they they should probably be fine with it. Like I've been thinking maybe we can provide people with a with a badge of some sort so that they can optionally if they want to add to their settings yeah. so that they, they can inform people of the fact that they are collecting anonymous usage data yep um and so people can go click on read more or whatever and like see that they like see that we can more or less mathematically prove that we don't have their data that'd be cool um yeah i, I also think it's um isn't it potentially incumbent on anybody using app telemetry to state what they're doing in their privacy policy and oh, yeah. potentially it needs to be in the privacy to policy. That is correct. They they need to do that. Yeah. Um but uh, no one or or only a tiny percentage of users really read the privacy policy, right? Yeah. Um so it might be it might be a good idea to also just write it there in plain English, just just so it feels more honest. And it also has to be in the um, uh, privacy nutrition labels that you see on the App Store. Yes. Uh, it shows up there as anonymous usage data, and because that's exactly what it is, and like Apple has this category for it. That's cool. Um, so yeah, and it's like under the data not linked to you category, of course. 
klar. So that was that was the one thing WWDC where I was like, okay, where I was a bit a, a bit anxious about it. And then the privacy section was over, and I and I was just breathing out this huge sigh of release, <laughs> a relief. I was okay. I'm not getting Sherlock. This is good. I'll and then that. comes up the Xcode Cloud section, and they had this screenshot of a web interface for I want to say Xcode Cloud, but it might have been a redesigned App Store Connect or something like that. Yeah. And it has this huge button in the middle that says telemetry <laughs> and i almost got a heart attack <laughs> it turns out this has been there for a while and it's mostly crash reports of, 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 as far as i can tell yep um but <laughs> for a second i was like oh my god that's it and they're calling it the same Oh, it's the uh, it's the tightrope, isn't it, for for a lot of app developers? Yeah. Actually, it's like, okay, am I going to get Sherlock's this year? Um, I think um, you're offering a very unique take on on this sort of product, and um, you know, serving a very specific niche. And I think right. that that um, that in itself, you know, is 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 quite a uh, a protective kind of thing to have in that sense um, for, for Sherlocking. Um, but um, yeah, I do feel like in our community, in the, in the Apple indie community, there are quite a few people who have had to sort of go, okay, Apple are encroaching on my space, you know, this year and, yeah. and in previous years, we, we, we keep seeing it happen. Um. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about you uh, you watching it with that lens on. <laughs> it was probably um, not very likely, but I ever since we've decided to really give it like a full go, like go just full bore towards we want to do this. Um, we're going to quit our jobs and live off our savings until we make some money with this. Like... I've been hyper alert for any anything that might threaten threaten the, the the idea. Like, is there any are there any competitors that I don't know of? Yeah. Is there any any change in the landscape that might like strongly diminish our use case or whatever? So far, it hasn't been the case. But <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a very different view. Like, I'm used to having a stable job and then working on these projects on the side. And then if some, some competitor comes along, you're like, okay, cool. Hi. Uh, we can, we can jostle a little bit. And mm -hmm. now, I mean, if another indie developer had a similar idea, I would still be like, Oh, this is cool. This is validating the idea that this is valuable. Right. Yeah. Um, but what I'm afraid of is like some huge company deciding, hey, we can we can do that too. And I'm kind of betting on the fact that the big companies are prevented um, by their existing solutions that they have from suddenly going on a privacy diet. Like yes. they already have all this, all these links between the data and. And uh, they are, have all already linked the data to user identifiers and to just throw all of that away. I'm hoping that will go against 
their core principles so they can't really do it yeah and if that's the case then my value proposition just got stronger yeah exactly and and you know they're not going to go away anytime soon in terms of what they're what they're doing either and so mm-hmm. I think this interplay between you and those types of, of analytics companies is um, is quite interesting. Like you say, that their being there just makes your product stronger. Um, it, yeah. It's, uh, it's a win for you. Anyway, that they exist, they're holding that space in the way that they are. And then obviously AppTelemetry is doing that, but doing it privately and better. That's, uh, that's cool to see. It is, yeah. It's exciting. Like, it is exciting and exhilarating, and I really wanna I I want to like put everything in there because it's just so amazing, and people are so nice to me too. Like they are, like there's lots of people just reaching out, telling me what they like about the app. Um, you've been super supportive, um, and I've never experienced that reaction from the developer community before i know that our community is usually very open and inclusive and friendly yeah but they have been so enthusiastic um it just warms warms my heart before we finish up daniel um when x wrapped telemetry you've got the partnership going now things are sort of in this this like this is full-time right you're you're full-time on app telemetry yes. now yep yes um, so this is all systems go. So um, between now and the end of this year, where do you think things are likely to go? All right. So there's um, there's three things that I really want to reach by the end of the year. One is I want to have the app in a stable and very usable shape. Uh, I want to have like all like all of the surface level bugs remove, uh, removed and I want it to be beautiful and usable and nice. Um, we're a lot of the way there, but there's like a few rough patches in there that I really need to get rid of. And there's like one or two features missing that we kind of need. Um, two is I want to migrate off the beta into uh, tiers where people have to pay me if they use more than a certain number of signals um the beta is really helping us establish where the borders are between these yep and um i've already promised to the beta users that they will get like a special tier that is that has like way more free signals than what new signups will get after the beta period ends because i'm just incredibly grateful to these people um and there's going to be a period where where like I will we will um, publish the pricing and then everyone have, will have like a like like some sort of grace period of a few months or so to decide whether they want to try to reduce their signals or just re- migrate away from app telemetry or just go all in and and just be like okay yeah this is a price that I'm willing to accept for the value that I'm getting yep um, so we want to start earning some money. Um, it doesn't have to be enough to pay for our salaries, but it has. To, it should be enough to pay for the servers. That would yes. be really nice, just yeah. to have like another validation that this is valuable to the people that we want to give value to. Awesome. And then the third thing that I really want to reach before the end of the year is incorporation. Um, 
for that we need some state funding which is which we are pretty likely to get i hope uh we need to pay some lawyers for various lawyery stuff and we might uh need to need to have to look for an angel investor or we might need to get a um a loan or something right um but yeah that's the three the three goals that I, that we kind of want to reach before the end of the year and so far it's looking pretty good <laughs>